We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 seasons of The Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you! All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now. What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX command simulated. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 93, Unmissable Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks for tuning in once again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us any kind of review. Five stars is great on iTunes, wherever you're listening to this, Spotify, etc., etc. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, or for me, at HiltonD13. And there's also a closed Facebook group, just tbpod.link backslash group. We'll take you to the closed Facebook group. Three easy questions, you're in. We're having plenty of wonderful conversations all the time. And one of the guys who's part of those conversations, not only on our closed Facebook group, Barcelona Podcast, but also on another, his own, Daily Barca, it's my co-host for today, Mike Miller, host of another Barcelona podcast as well, but this one in French, so no competition there. Ours is in English, his is in French. It's called the Bagrana Podcast. He's also the president of the Peña Montreal, and we're going to talk today some World Cup and answer questions in La Ronda. But first, I want to introduce Mike. Welcome back to the show. You were an interview first time, but now you're my co-host for the day. Thank you very much for having me, Dan. Hello, everybody. And we've got plenty of, to talk about and. If you like center backs, if you like defense, this is the show for you. Because La Grande Pregunta today, let's jump right in. Where does PK or where does Gerard PK 
go from here this coming after Russia shocked Spain, knocking them out. But it's not even about his play on the field, Mike. That's the big topic that we're trying to break down today. It's the report and the news that he's going to be meeting with Barcelona president Josep Maria Bartomeu when he gets back from his vacation. Of course, all the players at the World Cup now will go on a little hiatus. Some won't even be on the U.S. tour upcoming at the end of this month. But Gerard Piquet, he's going to be on a little bit of a vacation, come back to Barcelona, and apparently going to be meeting with the board. What is he meeting with the board about, you ask? Well, it has to do with Antoine Griezmann, an Atletico Madrid player, because the documentary that Piquet's production company had a hand in producing when Griezmann rebuffed Barcelona for Atletico Madrid called The Decision. Obviously, those who follow basketball know that when LeBron James did it and moved to Miami, it was a terrible idea. It was a lot of money for ESPN, a lot of money for LeBron James, but... Almost everyone in the media and a lot of fans gave a lot of flack for LeBron Fort and Griezmann and all those involved have met the same fate. People are not very happy with the way it was done. It was also shown on Spanish TV and was also, most importantly, the way that Barcelona's front office found out that Griezmann was not coming to Barcelona. And so, Mike, let's start it off here. Between Neymar last year and Griezmann this year, Barca's board absolutely looked like they have egg on their face. And this time... Both PK and Umtiti, who tweeted the documentary before it came out, trying to create some buzz about it. Now there's actually Barcelona players involved in that blame. Yes, indeed. And uh, I believe, first of all, that, sure, the, the board is to blame, but maybe not the entire board this time. I would blame uh, Mr. President Bartomeu uh, solely on this one, not because uh, he had conversations with uh, Griezmann, uh, private conversations with with Griezmann about the possibility of him joining Barca this summer, but certainly because he told it to the press and he said it clearly that he had conversation with Griezmann in October or November of 2017, and there were advanced talks, and he leaked that information, I think, the week leading to the Europa League final, which is uh, very strange to me because, as you know, Dan, these conversations, these conversations happen all the time. It's normal for clubs to start scouting uh, before the end of a season. And according to FIFA regulations anyway, a contract which has a release clause is deemed to be uh, expiring anyway. So whenever there's a release clause, even if there is three, four, five years left of the contract, if the discussion happens before the transfer window, it is less than six months anyway. So there was no, there was nothing illegal there. There was nothing illegitimate, illegitimate there, but it doesn't look good. And it's not a piece of information that should have been shared with the public. Now for PK, in my opinion, um, everybody's, everybody is allowed to, to, to make a living. Everybody has a right to run uh, their business, but I don't think that PK should have put his own name or his own face uh, under the limelight, I think that he should have just let his company do its business, produce the video, produce the, 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 the documentary, and release it. And he should have taken a step back and collected his money and stayed quiet. He had a, he had a World Cup to prepare anyway. He should have been training with La Roja during that time anyway. And he should have just let Griezmann do his own promotion. And, you know, as... As you mentioned earlier, Dan, I speak French, so I followed the, the, the French media a lot, leading to La Decision, the decision. And between Griezmann and the French media, Piquet had 
all the promotional work being done for him for free. So he didn't even have to say anything about it. Now, Umtiti, on the other hand, I can't really blame him that much because Umtiti was, uh, at the time, training with Griezmann as part of uh, the French national team uh, training camp. So it was all in good nature. We all know that he wasn't involved in the project. He just retweeted a bunch of stuff and uh, commented on a, uh, on a bunch of tweets. But I don't see Umtiti as someone who was involved in this whole uh, in this whole story uh, at the same level. Certainly not at the same level as uh, Pique or uh, Mr. President Bartomeu. Right, and I think that goes back to this divide that we have had between the players and the front office that is just continuing to pop and rear its ugly head. And we were hoping that, as I spoke about in previous weeks, that once Eric Abidal came to the club, you know, him being a liaison, hopefully, after that he would be the guy that would get into the locker room. And obviously he played with PK at the time, and now he's part of the, the board. Not the board, but the front office. So he would be a guy that could talk to both sides. And this is now the first mess that Albidal's going to have on his hands to try to, again, smooth things out. Because when you look at the other players, you know where they're going to stand with PK. And I think with PK, the reason this is so much worse and exacerbated even farther, because I would say, well, what if this was a player, another player on the team that this happened with and the criticism that they're getting? And now you and I disagree on this a little bit, where for me, I think PK is, I think he's either A, defended too much to a far extreme or b he's criticized too much so for pk that vacation he's taking beginning earlier than expected after being knocked out by russia of course he nor his partner sergio ramos in defense shrouding themselves in any part of glory at the world cup his handball against russia is certainly going to be a lasting image from spain's campaign it's going to be something we remember and i remember even months ago when we read that uh, players tribune article that pk himself had, well, obviously he probably had a ghostwriter, but he's had these miraculous ups and downs in his career, going back to his days for Sir Alex Ferguson at Manchester United. We've seen him play his way out of contention under Pep Guardiola, bookended by times when we consider him one of the top center backs in the entire world on both ends of that. And this is also the same center back that struggled at this World Cup, also won one in 2010, followed by a European Championship in 2012. And so he's such a polarizing figure and it goes back to a question that I always ask myself about, like, what does Barcelona represent? What are its values? And what he is is a guy that, from the Catalan part of Barcelona, he always defends Catalonia. He always is, is very proud of his Catalonian bloodline and the, the fact that he is a representation of Catalonia. And he always speaks up for the region and its people. And so he is seen as a champion of what Barcelona has always represented, uh, going back to the previous eras, the fascist regimes of Franco, whenever it may be, he represents something that is truly Barcelona off the field, and that's why they call him, you know, the future El Presidente. But when you look at his behavior, and again, a few weeks ago, we talked about this on the pod, that he may not even be a good candidate for a captain. So how are you going to be a christen a guy, a future president of the club, when his antics off it really do seem to detract that? And in the same breath off the field, he's a guy that truly represents a lot of what the club is standing alone as this representation of Catalonia in a way that Espanyol does not, in a way that with Girona in the first division, we have to give credit to them as well. Girona is is it another team that is very proud of, of his Catalonian past. Well, you bring up a good point, Dan. Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that I've supported Barcelona all my life, 
but I've always been interested in the football rather than the politic, the political aspect of it. I I pay very little attention to politics. Uh, that being said, when PK wants to take on that responsibility, and that's the that's the thing that makes me uneasy about uh, about it. I feel like he gets distracted a lot by off the field issues rather than focus on what he's being paid very handsomely for, which is being a center back for the greatest club in the world. And you're talking about how he has ambitions of eventually becoming the president of the club when he's not, he's probably not really fit uh, for the job of captain. And uh, the I think it was Pep Segura a few weeks ago that said that Kike could possibly be left out of the of the captaincy altogether. He wouldn't be one of the four of the four captains uh, this season. PK right now, unfortunately, you know the Griezmann issue, uh, his uh, larger than life involvement in in the media, in his own uh, projects, in the political life in Catalonia, in Spain. He's acting more like a senator in that within that club, unfortunately, than he is acting like a captain or like a president. And by senator, what I mean by senator is that, unfortunately, right now, PK is getting to a point where he's getting a bit too comfortable, whereas at the beginning of his uh, Barcelona career, or even during his time with Manchester United, he always had to fight for his place. He always had to compete for his spot. If I can take you back to his first years with Barca, he had uh, ahead of him on the pecking order Carles Puyol and um, Rafa Marquez. And when Rafa Marquez uh, started getting injured a bit too often, he decided to leave and to sign with the New York Red Bulls at the time. And then Piquet moved up in the pecking order. And then later on, uh, Javier Mascherano went from being a, a central defensive midfielder to a center back. So again, it was a three-way dance between Piquet, Mascherano, and Puyol. It's only when Puyol retired that Piquet really became that undisputed starter that never had to worry about his spot. And we've, we've been living through that since the year of the, of, uh, the last treble, 2015. And from 2014-15, from the 2014-15 season all the way up to now, He's been an undisputed starter. When Umtiti, when Umtiti came over, he took uh, he took Mascherano's place, but Piquet's place was uh, was never really threatened at all. And now it's only him and Umtiti, and the two center backs which are sitting on the bench right now pose no threat whatsoever to Piquet. So I'm thinking right now the main issue because uh, as I told you off air, I support Barcelona first. I love. I love the players, but just like any, just like any loving relationship, I'm also not afraid to criticize uh, the players. Just like a father would criticize his child, pretty much. So I love PK, and you know I'm very grateful for um, everything that he's done for the club. But I think that what PK needs right now is some real competition, some solid competition. In order for him to feel like he constantly has to work hard and fight hard and focus and really concentrate on his job, which is to play football for Football Club Barcelona.
Well, that transitions us right into La Ronda, and we're going to go a little longer on these questions because they tie right into what we're talking about in this discussion. And I like that you say that he hasn't been pushed with competition because our question coming in from Henry is just that about competition that's potentially coming, and that is in the form of Clement Langlet. And when it comes to Langlet, the young, I believe he's 22-23 now, for Sevilla, he's left-footed, so obviously he'll, if, if Valverde really does truly want to play a left-sided center back on the left side, well then now the competition is Umtiti, Langlet, and Vermillion, where PK and, and Mina are the two right-footed center backs, but obviously all five will not remain at the club. And the thing that Henry asks is, in the Langlet deal done, and you can let us know what the French media, at least, is saying. As Langlet, though, not in camp with the French squad, so you'd have to expect that a lot of those reports, as Keep and all of those other publications, are currently dealing with Russia and have their eyes on Russia. The Catalan media, meanwhile, who is trying to follow this, they last week said that by Monday he would be telling Sevilla that he wanted to go to Barcelona and that it's pretty much going to be a done deal, that Barcelona will be paying his 30 million euros release clause plus some extra money to get it done. You know that he's a pretty finished product already with how good he was with Sevilla, and he could be even better. So for me, he represents a healthy competition for PK and Umtiti, and I know the deal isn't done. What that tells me, though, the reports in the Catalan media, they may mention guys like Thomas Lamar, who signed with Atletico Madrid, just a little one-off about him, or whether it was their constant tracking of Griezmann, or even Coutinho in the summertime last summer, because obviously he came in January, but last summer when they were saying, oh, the deal's pretty much already done, the way that the media works in Catalonia seems to be with these transfers, or at least a recent trend, is that when they're going after a player in the Liga, say it's Rakitic, or obviously now with Langlet, when they're going after guys that are well-known La Liga commodities that aren't these global transfer stories, it seems like those are much closer to the finish line than when you have these players that are coming from abroad. And the other thing about Langlet is he is a European citizen, so he is an EU player. And that's a big thing that I keep reminding people, both last week on the show and even in the Barcelona podcast group, that Yuri Mina, he has to worry about Arthur coming, where Mina is being a non-EU player. There's only three of them. And Coutinho is currently in the, in the hunt for getting uh, his, his, his European citizenship. And if that doesn't happen in time, then that's really what's going to be the thing that forces Yuri Mina out of the club, whether it's loan or to be sold, and we'll get to that in a second. But first, I want to focus on Linglet. What have you seen from him? Because we've never got to ask you what you've seen of him at Sevilla. And what is the French media, Mike, saying about where along in those negotiations this might be? So first of all, what I what I have seen of uh, Clement, Langlet, Clement Langlet is uh, a very poised and very confident young man who doesn't take too many uh, too many unnecessary risks. He's very good with the ball at his feet, and he's very good um, with, he's very good with headers as well, defensively and offensively. Um, he's very reliable. He and he has what we call in Spanish grinta, which is uh, the, the the fighting spirit, the desire to compete. He seems to always be hungry for uh, for more and and. Uh, Really determined to, to 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 win, and you could you could tell by just the way uh, he acts on the field. He he looks like a leader already, despite his young age and despite his very limited experience in La Liga. He's only played in La Liga since 2017, and and yet he he has the he carries himself like a veteran already. 
And that sort of leadership is very typical of FC Barcelona centre-backs. If we look at our, not just our recent history, but our history altogether, and I'm not trying to, to, to make any unfair comparisons here, but when I look at a Migueli or a Puyol, Kuman, Marquez, and even Pique and Umtiti, what do they all have in common? It's it's that it's that aggression, it's that desire, it's that uh, it's that fighting spirit, and I see that in Langlet, and I think that he's got that side of his personality that works really well with our style, but also the also the the his his skills with the ball at his feet, and uh, you know which is also a very important part of our game. And I see him combining very well with our midfielders, and I can imagine him combining very well uh, with uh, with Umtiti next to him or with PK next to him, no matter which side he plays on, because he's able to play on both sides, uh, despite the fact that, that, he's, uh, that he's left-footed. And uh, he's very clean in his... Uh, whenever he tries to get the ball out of the zone, he doesn't... When he doesn't have any passing options, he's very good at carrying at carrying the ball out of uh, out of the 18-yard line, uh, out of the box. Uh, so that's what I've been seeing uh, from him in his season with, uh, I mean, during his time with Sevilla. Um, otherwise, the French media outs him very well, and they, they have a very good opinion of him. Uh, he wasn't selected by the French national team, but the competition was very very fierce in that position. Uh, Umtiti Varane, but they also have um, Adil Rami and uh, Presno Kipembe. Rami is a veteran. He's uh, he was with Sevilla before, actually. Now he's with uh, Marseille, and Kipembe is uh, now with PSG, and he's uh, he's a well-known, well-respected, uh, young up-and-coming talent with the French national team. He's only 22 years old, so he competes directly with Langlet. But there were there was also a lot of uh, competition before then. I, I remember Koscielny that almost made it to the to the World Cup, but couldn't because of an injury. So the French national team is very rich in terms of talent at the center back position. But his time will definitely come. If we don't see him as the uh, if we don't see him at the next European Championships in 2020, we'll definitely uh, we're definitely going to see him. In the ne- at the next World Cup in 2000 uh, in 2022 in Qatar, so uh, I am very comfortable with that potential re- uh, recruiting. Uh, like you said, whenever uh, they announce it uh, ahead of time, it doesn't really mean that it's done. But there is a big chance, there is a bigger chance that this one could be done since it's a domestic transfer. And uh, there's also another point that I would like to bring up. Barca has a very good relationship with uh, Sevilla FC and the transfers with that club have often paid off. I'm thinking about Rakitic, I'm thinking about uh, Adriano, I'm thinking about uh, Dani Alves. So, you know, over se- over the years, over several years of uh, doing business with them, we've uh, rarely been disappointed. So I'm actually excited about this potential transfer and as mentioned earlier, I think that this is the competition that both our center backs, especially PK, need in order to compete at the highest level. And our listeners are in luck for those who have just joined the podcast in recent weeks and months. Back in episode 79 that came out in the middle of April, you can go back and we actually profiled some of the stats and 
some of the backstory about Langlet and his rise into prominence, where we really did profile the player when back all the way in April, we were wondering when we first heard rumors if he was going to come and cause competition. And that's really the name of the game, Mike, as we go back to this main theme about competition for that back line, particularly for PK and even Umtiti, who has had some okay performances at the World Cup, but again, has not had the best summer so far. And for Umtiti, who was so, so, so good in the first half of last season, then he had a little bit of an injury, and he really wasn't able to recapture that form where, again, in my opinion, Umtiti was a top three or five center back in the world from basically from last September to last December. He was almost unparalleled in just how good he was. And then, not to defend PK, but we know that he was dealing with that knee injury, and we know that Valverde continued to put him in the lineup week in and week out as they continued to try to go for that un- unbeaten record. And PK just wasn't up to it certain weeks with that knee injury. And it looks like he somehow has gotten over it a little bit, but maybe in the back of his mind that that is still lingering at this World Cup. And again, I'm not going to say that a player like him shouldn't be able to play through injury because if these players are fit enough to be in the squad and to be in the starting lineup for a team like Spain, you'd have to be you have to get rid of those excuses. But that said, let's bring up the competition that, in a sense, the whole world thinks is there. But we at Barcelona and Kules know that Yuri Mina is not a force to be reckoned with in the Barcelona pecking order. He's not even close in the radar. And if Arthur, as reports are indicating, will be coming to Barcelona in the next few days and will most likely be on their U.S. World Summer Tour, will obviously become the next few days, he'll be on the U.S. Tour with the team at the end of the month. So questions from Rafael and Danny both ask the same thing. Are we keeping Yuri Mina after the World Cup? He's having a good tournament. And Danny asks, has Yuri Mina forced Barcelona to hold off on any potential pursuit of Langlet? The answer obviously is no on that. Alternatively, how much would you say his stock has risen? And this indicating that there should be a transfer. Now, a lot of the people, and including one of our frequent guests in Deanna Christine on Twitter, she says, and you know, a lot again, a lot of people have said that Mina should not be loaned. Let's sell him off at his highest price. It's the perfect time because, as one of the old adages go, only people who buy players when they have a great World Cup are dumb clubs and Real Madrid. They're the ones who buy people after they have great World Cups. And so we're going to find a suitor out there who goes, wow, three goals in his three games. He's this monster in the air. Obviously, he can't take away his 6'5". No matter how out of form he is, he's always going to be 6'5". And Mina has... At Barcelona, though, not been in Valverde's plans. And if Arthur's coming, then he doesn't even have a place on the roster. But for me, when you look at what he did at the World Cup, I I just, again, he's 6'5". He's such a monster on set pieces. Something that, while Umtiti is better in the air than Mascherano was, we have not had a, a competent guy on set pieces where you just know that if you put that on his head, he can put that in the back of the net. And I think Mina is a weapon that could be used Again, never as one of their two primary starters, but as a, a, a self-assured center back backup, I don't see why we don't loan him out. But I also understand the counter-argument of you have to cash in when you can. I just think it's almost unfair to the player, Mike, to have a guy you get in January, you, let, you give him five months to try to assimilate to the Barcelona system coming from Brazil, and then you just sell him off to the highest bidder. I know it's a business. It just seems both unfair to him and being in his early 20s, I think it's almost a wasted opportunity not to try to mold and work with his talent or at least send him to a club that can help him do that for a return to the club. Well, there are two, uh, 
there are two keywords in in your presentation there: business and um, fit. And Yerry Mina, to begin with, should have never been recruited by FC Barcelona, as his style of play doesn't fit with uh, with our traditional style. That that is not a an absolute knock on him. Although I really don't like how he looks with the ball at his feet. I don't think that he's good enough to carry the ball or to 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 create out of the back to to, to create uh, to create attacks uh, from the back. Uh, actually, every time that he touches the ball, I'm always worried about what's going to happen next. He doesn't look comfortable with the ball at his feet. That said, he is a physical presence. He's good with the ball. He he's good with headers, offensively and defensively. And his six foot five frame is an asset. But that is not um, a major part of FC Barcelona's game. We like to have defenders who can almost be midfielders in any other team. Uh, we like we like our defenders to be able to, if not given any options, to be able to carry the ball. And Yerimina is absolutely not able to do that. That's the that's the fit part of it. As far as business goes, we bought him at seven million. If someone wants to pay, to pay twenty or twenty five million to get him, just because, well, I don't think that it would be just because he scored three goals at a World Cup. Although it's a nice catalyst, I also think that Yerimina would fit well. Uh, at a team which plays more uh, through the air than uh, on the ground. I'm thinking about a lot of mid-table English teams who would really, where Yerimina himself would really thrive. And I think that he would be a better fit in that type of situation. But in Barcelona, even as a third or fourth center back, if given a long-term opportunity due to uh, either injuries or suspensions, we would really suffer with him as uh, as one of our center backs. And his um, defensive, he would be a defensive liability to us. And that part of his game was not really exposed with Colombia during this World Cup. You know, it's a it's a short competition, but it was certainly exposed whenever given the opportunity in La Liga for, for FC Barcelona, and it could only become worse. So I think that this is the time to sell. We bought low, we could sell high and and move on, and perhaps maybe even promote a younger centre-back from La Masia in a year or two. And we have a few of those uh, as well. Yeah, the one that comes to mind is the teenager Jorge Cuenca, but other than him who came over from Alcorn, we have seen the centre-backs in La Masia head out the door and we've seen a lot of players head out the door for La Masia again we've talked about that in recent shows as well and we don't have time to get on that on this show but center back is certainly not a deep deep position in the pipeline uh, but that said you know it, it takes a special special player to be a center back of Barcelona because of all the things that you ask for and the fit that you're talking about now moving on to a question from Spiro this is a quick one like I'll handle with the whole non-EU player limit affecting us right now, what would be the best, worst, and acceptable outcome? Well, it it seems like the outcome is, is pretty understood already. With Langlet coming in, Mina is is certainly going to be heading out the door, and with Arthur assuredly coming into the club, that fi- that that is your final EU spot along with Paulinho and Coutinho. So. Uh, that pretty much wraps that one up. Uh, that is not even best, worst, or acceptable outcome. That is the outcome of what's happening. And 
hopefully Arthur is good enough to be your third non-EU player because the reason this comes up now is Willian is someone that you know keeps posting. We keep seeing different posts and people going, "Oh, I like Willian from Chelsea." And apparently, there are rumors that Chelsea and Barcelona are negotiating at 80 million and things like that. And for me, you talk about tabloids. Langlet is the story to be watching because that's a realistic, real thing. The Willian thing is silly because of our non-EU player limit. It doesn't make sense anyway. That would mean that Arthur then is coming in January in the hopes that maybe Coutinho is close to that passport and there is credence to it. But those are the times, Mike, when I'm very skeptical about things like the Willian thing, just knowing that it, it's not close because Barcelona have their limitations. They have their limitations and they have other priorities as well. I don't think that uh, Willian really uh, addresses any of our dire needs at the moment. No, I, I certainly agree. I mean, with Dembele, you want to give him room and time to shine on the field. And if you're, yes, competition is good, but competition that completely frees the player out of, of Dembele's youth and quality, it doesn't make any sense. And, and speaking of Dembele, we got our final question from Rick. And usually it is the Frances, the one who just knock bangs these out with starting formation and lineups. So, Mike, I'll see if, if you can measure up to what Frances usually does with it. What should be next season's starting formation and lineups? Perhaps a little early to consider, but should we continue the 4-4-2 or revert to a 4-3-3, assuming at least Arthur and Linglet are arriving in the summer? And obviously we don't know about there might be other players down the pipeline or who's going to leave or go. That most likely, though, won't affect the starting lineup. And I don't know, Mike, for me, while... Kool-Aid's, and we are Kool-Aid's at heart. We'd love to see Barcelona go back to the Croyfian 4-3-3. With Suarez at his age and Messi playing the way that Messi plays now, how do they go outside of a 4-4-2? You know, I don't really, I don't really see a pathway with that roster where you don't play a 4-4-2 and you go back to a 4-3-3. Where does Messi fit in that 4-3-3? You bring up an excellent question, Dan. I'm thinking that this season we should bring some unpredictability to our game. Sometimes we could uh, use a 4-3-3, sometimes we could use a 4-4-2, sometimes we could go even 4-2-3-1. Uh, I think that we should we should dictate the tempo but be smart about the tactical scheme that we use and not be so stubborn uh, and even worse than Valverde. I remember the days of uh, Luis Enrique when 4-3-3 was the religion and nothing else was used when really our traditional uh, way was never really only 4-3-3. It was our, our, our philosophy is total football. And total football can be used in so many different schemes. 4-3-3, maybe even 3-5-2. Uh, if, if we can go back to the 1992 uh, Champions League victory with Johan Cruyff's dream team, so many different schemes were used throughout this, uh, throughout this competition. So I'm thinking, to answer your direct question, Messi and Suarez, um, you know, I, I, can see, I can see Suarez still being uh, an out-and-out striker, but I don't see him, maybe this year, but maybe, maybe not past this year, I don't think that Suarez should be an undisputed starter. I think that he can be an out-and-out stri striker as long as he's got the proper support. With Messi and Coutinho right next to him, I'm, I'm comfortable with Suarez hitting big numbers again this season, but I'm concerned with um, how long 
into the season, his, it's gonna it's gonna take him to start putting up these numbers. Yeah, that's true. And even if Luis Suarez this season is still largely Luis Suarez, we know again, Father Time, we say it a billion times over, is undefeated. And you have to make sure you're starting to put things in place where Busquets, like Iniesta, is a guy that is never going to be replaced in the way he is. But Luis Suarez is an out-and-out number nine. He's obviously one of the best that the world has seen. But Barcelona is also one of the biggest clubs in the world. So you'd have to expect that Barcelona are going to be able to find or coax or even develop in the form of, again, not going to put any kind of pressure on Alba Ruiz, who just had a pretty good Mediterranean games that... I was able to watch the highlights. Obviously, I didn't have any broadcasts, but you watch the highlights. He had a hat trick even in the final. Abel Ruiz is a guy that we might get to see a little bit at the first team club, hopefully, as he's starring for Barca B now in what is going to be the third division. You're going to see a, a little bit more of that, I'm hoping, this year. That you're, I mean, wouldn't it be a great thing if you could put a 19 year old striker just in a, in a game against a, 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 lower, a lower level team in the Liga? And, and as tough as it is, in that game against Levante near the end of the season, again, Levante was a tough team that at that moment was well in form. But if you were able to put a guy like Albert Ruiz in, a guy who's hungry, who really just wants to give it his all, gives 100%, and is able to run along the line, allow the guys like Coutinho, Messi to possess the ball and to find him behind the defense, to make those youthful runs behind a defense that, I mean, we've been watching now, Mike, the last two years. And what made Suarez so deadly in 2015, that treble-winning season, is his timing was perfect coming off that offside trap and getting in behind a defense. But he is now two years older, or three years older now, and also three steps slower. And he just doesn't have that acceleration that he used to to do what Barcelona needs him to do. And looking at Germany in their World Cup, in that final game when they lost to South Korea, what was interesting to me was watching a number nine that Germany had at the time, not Mario Gomez, but Timo Werner for RB Leipzig. And Werner is the kind of guy that is young. He's in his early 20s, and he does what Suarez did in his heyday, where he does get on that offside trap and runs behind the defense. Now, against South Korea, that was all behind the ball. There was no room for those channels. He didn't have anywhere to go, and he was the wrong choice formation-wise and tactically for Germany in that game. And so when Barcelona are playing against certain teams that are packing it all in, the way Suarez is playing or wants to play doesn't even necessarily work because of the profile of a player he is. And having different profiled players for different reasons, I mean, that's, I think, modern football, right? That's something that Barcelona have to adapt to, that you have to have players that are like Dembele, who can really just unlock a defense with his dribbling, or you have players like Suarez who don't need the ball and just peel off the shoulder of a defender to get in on goal. You have to have those different profiles to really complete a whole team and to compete in all those different competitions throughout a year. Exactly, and you're you're mentioning a good point, actually. You're reminding me of something. Even if Suarez is not part of your tactical scheme, you have a you have a Lionel Messi, who could still play the role of a false nine, and do it very effectively. So, sure, I agree with you. We should we should uh, spend more time. Uh, I mean, give more playing time to our youngsters. There was a time when a youngster like Boyan was putting Thierry Henry and Zlatan Ibrahimovic on the bench because he was so brilliant at such a young age. There was a time when Pedro was making magic happen, literally coming off the bench as well. So 
the future is bright. We just need to give those youngsters a chance. But in the meantime, with the players that we have at our disposal, even with a Suarez on the bench, I'm comfortable with a, uh, with a three-man front line uh, composed of Coutinho, Dembele, and Messi. And I think that this three-man front line would still be scary to a lot of top sides, not just in Spain, but in the whole of Europe. Yeah, so to answer Rick's question, uh, we're not going to answer Rick's question. We're just going to say that there's a lot of options. And I like the idea that we have to be able to put out different lineups. And not in the way that Manchester United, Jose Mourinho, or formerly Real Madrid, how he tactically chooses a lineup and a formation every single game. Obviously, Barcelona still want to play a certain style. But having all those different weapons and, and putting those against different opponents and game planning to your opponent and not just assuming that you're going to be able to do the same thing week in and week out and your opponent isn't going to be prepared for it is naive. And I think Ernesto Valverde, as I've said before, is the guy to do it. And the guy to do it today was Mike Miller. Again, as we wrap another edition of the Barcelona Podcast, we again want to thank Mike for coming on the show. He is the host of the Bograna Podcast. It is en français. So if you do speak French, head over. Obviously, it's on iTunes, anywhere else you get your podcast, Lagrana Podcast. He's also, you can meet him in person at the Peña Montreal if you're in the Canada region and want to stop by and see a Barcelona game at the Peña Montreal. Just look him up. You can find him. Mike, thanks so much for joining the show. And again, thanks for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza! What if Santa didn't need eight reindeer to guide him through the night? Hey, Mercedes, map me to Kalamazoo. Okay, mapping the fastest route to Michigan. Or what if his sleigh could get real-time weather info? Hey, Mercedes, what's the temperature on the 25th? 22 degrees. Rooftops may be icy. Mercedes-Benz MBUX technology hasn't made it to flying sleighs, but it's available to you on the A-Class, the GLE, or GLC. And you can get them all for an exceptional price during the Mercedes-Benz winter event. MBUX commands simulated. Right now, when you come in and switch to T-Mobile, you get the amazing iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. <sighs> Aren't these mountains majestic? Joe, are you even looking? I'm posting these amazing pics I took with my iPhone 11 Pro. It has three cameras. Whoa, those pics are amazing. And you have service too? T-Mobile. Their newest signal goes farther than ever before. Uh, then you can look up whether these are bear tracks, right? Or we could just run. Come to a T-Mobile store today and get iPhone 11 Pro on us with iPhone XS trade-in. And right now, get four lines for just 30 bucks a line with AutoPay. Switch today. Contact us if you cancel or credits may stop in full price due, plus taxes and fees via 24 monthly credits for well-qualified customers with qualifying service and finance agreement. Zero down with trade-in plus 3125 times 24 months. Pre-credit price $999.99. Zero percent APR while supplies last. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. 
That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.